just describe just what happened to the whole ordeal. Yeah, I just got wrecked uh, by big, big NASCAR Cup Series star Ryan Priest. No patience, his bonehead move drove right over the fucking back of me up a two and wrecked us. So, um, pretty disappointing. He should know better. He's been racing a long time. Um, disappointing. This is Behind the Exploratory Lessons, episode number 23. It is more or less of a season two update, but also just me being back from the state of Florida and arrived to not a lot of snow in Washington. Yes, believe it or not, we actually got snow in Washington while I was at Daytona Beach, Florida a few days ago as I'm recording this. So here's the thing. Initially, I was supposed to be back home on Monday, but with the 63rd Daytona 500 being delayed almost six hours due to rain, thinking the inevitable was going to happen, where for the second straight year in a row it's going to be moving on the Monday, I had to change the plans. I had to switch flights. Fortunately, I had a flight provider that can do that. I will not go into that, just of the ordeal. If you want to hear what happened on 2.16.20, go listen to my two episodes that I appear on the Fast Lab with Chrissy and Deb. That's where you'll hear my story about that 2020 Daytona Fire. I will not discuss it around here yet. I just don't want to discuss about it, considering how a year later it's cultivated to a much better 500 for me. And also caps off a kind of a year long struggle, year long journey. But yeah, I was supposed to be here in Washington on Monday, where it's supposed to be nothing but snow, nothing but winter wonderland. And it took me by surprise there was snow, considering the only time we had snow this entire winter to date, up to that point, was for eight hours. And then it was gone. Just completely gone. So, I moved the flight. I had decided to stay at a hotel near to the racetrack. So, sure, I'll be here at least through Wednesday. The racing got going. It started to clear up. Yeah, there was some fog and visibility issues. And in the end, Michael McDowell. Yes, indeed. The one guy that I first heard through a Speed Channel commercial back in 2004 won the Daytona 500. And I'll quickly discuss about that Daytona 500. People were saying they should have thrown out the they should have not thrown out the yellow over the Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, and that big wreck of fire that uh, Keselowski's tire flew off. Look at the 2010 Talladega Nationwide race. They threw a yellow for that when Dennis Setzer hit the fence and then flames and tires were falling all over the place. You you really wanted that to go? Through, I understand it's turn number three. I understand why, but you cannot really say much when there's fire and tires flying all over the track, especially those hard hits that Kyle Busch, Ryan Priest, and Austin Sender, who looked like he was going to probably have the best rookie run in a long time, that didn't result in a win, of course. But no, he got collected in that one, and time will tell when Sendrick will make his next cup start. Obviously, he's going to be in Cup anyways in 2022 driving for the Wood Brothers, so it's not going to be that terribly long, but lo and behold, it may not be in the Super Speedway race. I'd imagine he's going to be on a road course. But man, to wake up every morning and probably going for a long, long time to think that Michael McDowell, a guy that's been pretty good on those Super Speedways, that to the point that former Idaho football player Trent Cowan put McDowell on his... on What, what, what the hell do they call those things? Hmm... What do they call them? Oh, yeah, the betting line where if McDowell wins, he'll get some money out of it. And yes, indeed, 
Cowan got some money out of it. So good for him. How do I knew that? Through a girlfriend's Snapchat. And the girlfriend is subject. I will not tell you that story. But let's just say of the between the three of us, we were both from the University of Idaho. And that's about the only time I dropped the University of Idaho in full name in quite some time. I found that to be a funny moment considering wait a minute, there's actually a, a former Vandal that watches NASCAR understands why he picked McDowell and why McDowell is a good choice for like a dark horse or a surprise or a sleeper pick. Good choice. Good choice. I don't talk about bets. I don't talk about fantasy. I don't talk about any of that crap because we're a. We're, I'll try to keep this as professional as possible, especially being a NASCAR media member and also IndyCar. And sometimes I will write Formula One on the side. I want to keep it as subtle and professional as possible. But we're going back to that yellow flag ordeal. No. They made the right choice. When you see that stuff happening, even if there's few cars left or in the lead pack. It's not good. The one that they should have thrown, knowing after the fact what happened, was Derek Cope in the duels. Where it looked like he was like sitting there or going Ricky Bobby 26 miles an hour in Rockingham. To where, he, and then when he found out something broke in the car or something, or ran out of fuel or something like that, when it was car problems. Not just the fact that just Derek Cope is just slow because it's in a Rick Ware car. They should have thrown the yellow for that, honestly. You have a car just sitting there almost at dead stop. To where Bubba Wallace and a couple, might be one other, I can't remember who exactly, had to change their line, their, their lane of choice to make the move on the last lap of the second race of the duels. Of course, Austin Dillon won that one, so it worked out for him. So They should have probably thrown the yellow for that because you're talking about a huge hazard. Have they not learned almost anything from Kevin LePage at Talladega 2008? It led to a good finish, but looking back on it, Derek Cobb's just sitting there due to some car reliable problems. Should have thrown a yellow for that. The one I will not really defend is that last lap. There's a big wreck. There's a fire. When you see fire, that's not usually a good thing. Also, Sanders described this as being the warmest thing he ever dealt with. That was a hard hit. That was a brutal hit. I was concerned for Austin to see how bad. Was it? Because that was a hard lick. Those were some pretty hard licks. If we learned anything from Talladega 2012 with Dale Jr. And how he, everything went fine. Then Bobby Labonte came along. The whole ripple effect were big ones. You're never sure what will happen. And how bad the accident could be. to, Or how it takes a toll on a driver. You just don't know. It could be a very minor incident. And it could end up probably worse than people would give it credit to. And it's considering the day I'm recording this. 20 years ago to the day. That Earnhardt was killed in a tragic accident in the last lap of the 2001 Daytona 500. Safety has come a long way. But you got to remember, sometimes we got to remind ourselves that safety in racing is dangerous. Safety is important, but racing is dangerous. It's always going to be that way. We, we just, we're a year removed from Ryan Newman's horrific wreck. We're 20 years removed from Earnhardt's demise in his life. And also... I need to remind us that something that E60 did not point out is that it took an ARCA death to really mandate the Hans device for NASCAR. In October 2001, an ARCA death. Blaze Alexander, who had that hard hit at Charlotte with Kerry Earnhardt, it took his death to finally get NASCAR to put the mandation on the Hans device. That's the one bit there. Three before February. A beautiful, well done piece by Brock Beard. Mentioned. And I think it's very important to point out that 
It took Alexander's death to mandate it. Yeah, Earnhardt led to the start of people wearing Hans Weiss. So you have Brett Bodine and Scott Pruitt already wearing it at the time, leading up to the 2001 Daytona 500. But Pruitt was already out of NASCAR. Bodine was still there in the Ralph Supermarket number 11 Ford Taurus. Or as Dale Reynolds used to call it, Ford! Or Ford! <clears throat> I had to toss that reference there. But yeah. It took an architect to really mandate the Hans device. So don't let that be mistaken or forgotten. And some people were asking me on Twitter when my tweet about it blew up before the 500. Have I seen it? I was like, of course I've seen it. I'm one, one of Brock, Brock Beard's patrons. I'm a proud patron for Brock Beard. And I'm looking forward to see more on the IndyCar split because it makes me relieved that Brock acknowledges some of those I like to call IRL jobbers word or background from to see okay that's a job or okay he's due for what like Jack Hewitt obviously he's known for the kiss my dick line <laughs> that's all he's that's pretty much he's known for he's, he was a hell of a sprint car racer hell of a Uzak racer back in the day he didn't get his Indy 500 glory until 1997 with 97 or 98 it's one of, one of those years that Steve Kinzer also drove the Indianapolis 500 those were disturbing those were warranted sure it took circumstances to finally get that opportunity but hey those guys would have probably run the 500 if it was at a different time period like cody swanson he should be driving the indianapolis 500 but it's just a different type of how usac sprint cars or smidgen drivers don't get their due because it's all about the money game or unless you go through the road to indy speaking of road to indy if it wasn't for the road to indy or at the time the, the star mazda scholarship michael mcdowell probably would not been where he is right now he, he wouldn't. And I asked him that question, what that Road to Indy scholarship meant to him when he was the touted road racer, the touted open wheel from the United States at the time period. So here's why I asked Michael. When it comes to the journey that you've had, of course, you came from originally what is now known as the Road to Indy. Then you did a little sports car thing and then come to NASCAR. Has, how much have that journey has helped you grow from a human being because I know you've been discussing about it now with this 500 win. Yeah. I, you know, the, it's all about the journey. It's what shapes you and molds you, you know, and, and it's all character building. And I was so lucky to, to get that Mazda scholarship and be in the road to Indy program because without it, I'd still be at Bondurant as a driver coach. I mean, I had no money, no sponsors. There was no way I was going to be able to go afford to move to the next level in racing. And and that Mazda scholarship and that road to Indy program is the only thing that allowed me to continue to, to move forward. Um, so yeah, I'm super thankful for the journey and in the process. And, and, and even though I came into NASCAR with not a lot of stock car experience, you know, I had, you know, IndyCar and, and IMSA and, and years at a high level. So I think that helped, you know, just because the pressure that it comes from, you know, being a, a part of a big organization and, and all those things that come with it. So I'm, I'm, the journey has been awesome and it's, it's what it's all about. I mean, it's, it could have gone so many different ways. Right. And just, one little turn here or there and it, it completely changes you know just the whole the whole journey so i'm very thankful for it 
I always felt like I wanted to ask that question ever since I first heard of McDowell's. Because I've that's how I first I remember him more of an open wheel guy. He that did some champ car and then he did some sports cars in the Grand Am before jumping to NASCAR and ARCA in 07-08. He did fought for a championship. He did gave a good run for his money with Frank Kimmel and the time that Frank Kimmel just owned everything. And also at a time where there was more than a half a dozen teams that competed for wins that were competitive in the Arca Menard series. They're then known in 2007 as the Arca Remax series. And don't get me started how in the 1990s they were called because they had a tongue-twisted name like the Bondo Mardi Arca Racing Series, etc., etc., etc. It's probably the best way I've ever pronounced that old name with all these 10,000 racing titles they had. But yeah, it's it's fascinating to see a guy that I first heard through a speech at a commercial had that flip at Texas that I think it had plenty to do why I used to saw McDowell was a Texan. Then I realized, oh, Texas Twister, the McDowell flip. That's why Brock Beer says the Texas Twister. And then Bubba Wallace just ran after he got taken out in the All-Star Open at Bristol. He said the God-fearing Texan. It's like, when I wrote the piece, I was like, okay, Texas, forgetting the fact that he's from Arizona and during the post-race media conferences through Zoom, there were plenty from Arizona. It's like, man, there's a lot of people from Phoenix in this call. And then, and then one of my editors for the podium finish was telling me that he's from Arizona. And there's like, dang, damn it, Bubba Wallace and Brock. You've got me so, you've had the Texas etch in my brain thinking he is a Texan. He probably is, but he's mainly from Arizona. The Texas Twister, and then I was like, oh, Twister, the, the tumble of Texas. Oh, wait, okay, that makes sense. So that's the first thing I started. I was like, dang, damn it, Bubba Walls. You made me think McDowell was a Texas just because he's a God-fearing Texan in, in, your, in your interview after you got taken on the All-Star Open. <sighs> I think weird times, man, weird times. How there's a Mandela effect to some things. Because I qualified as a Mandela effect with McDowell's being Texan or Arizona, and what, what, anyways, let's jump back to what we were talking about. We are talking about safety and Blaze Alexander, three before February. But yeah, I will write a blog, a blog about it on LuisDTorres.com. You'll definitely find it if you go just type in Luis, L-U-I-S-D-S and David, T-O-R-R-E-S.com. You'll find my photos, which will be heavily updated with all the stuff that I've taken from Volusia and New Smyrna. I got a lot through, a lot, a lot to go through. But I'll also tell you my upcoming blog, which will focus on reflecting on my time covering the 2021 Daytona 500 for the Media Center. How I feel about it, how I felt then, how I feel now, and just all that good stuff. Not a lot of photos I got for Daytona because it was heavily restricted to licensees only. No freelancers. And I'll definitely discuss how I feel about this some other time. I may include in the blog in a short paragraph or maybe not. Just tune in for that. Just go find me on Twitter at the LT Files. And that's where you'll find my updates and all the photo galleries. You know, I got a lot to grow through. It may take me a couple weeks to finally get through everything. Because I want to show my best photos, which I feel like there were plenty. I just got to have to narrow it down and see. Alright, this one's worth showing in my gallery. This one's worth including in my feature photo tab. I gotta create a new page for the 2021 gallery to start off. Hey, man, talk about it being an independent journeyman that has a Patreon. 
that then nobody really knows or bothers except for the two people. Listen, let me make this clear. Shout out to TPL Motorsport and Catherine Gaskill for supporting me through Patreon. I, I promise I will provide more content in the coming weeks. I, as a matter of fact, I got to do a red flag tidbit. Because the plan is when my patrons discuss about red flags, how, what is this? Is this the seventh old time since 1990? Is this the first of the season and vice versa? Get some facts, do some pieces of those red flags, and then compile it as the season goes on. Because I feel like it is very important I don't get the numbers wrong. Like last year where I was one off, forgetting about there were three red flags in the 2020 Daytona 500. <clears throat> So yeah, make sure you tune in for that and make sure you go th support me through Patreon under Luis Torres Multimedia. Type in Luis Torres Multimedia, you'll find my Patreon. And I hope you see you guys support my dream, support my journey, and also help me out a little bit to provide you some content and see if it builds through then and then maybe I'll openly allow it to the public about red flag information, facts, and so on and so forth. In the meantime, to wrap this up, let me just give you a brief discussion as far as Season 2 is concerned. Because as you saw, there's no consistency, and that's the, there's a reason why. I want Season 2 to be more guest-driven, rather than just me blabbing and ranting like most, most of Season 1 turned out. I want to turn it to be more of a purposeful podcast. That Yeah, there'll be some racing interviews, yeah, there'll be some racing Zoom call questions... Then and there, but I want this to be more than just that. That's the purpose of this show, to show my life through other people and why I relate to it and how sometimes we just became friends out of it. Like an Emerson Arden or a Frisky Nixon or a Tisha Intrangel, to name a few. I want to provide guests like that. But also, if I have an interview with a racing driver like Roger Karouf, which I will share as my next episode where we discuss... About the the journey East had. We talked about Lil Uzi Vert. Yes, indeed. We talked about Lil Uzi Vert. You do not want to miss that little discussion we had. But yeah, I interviewed him a few days before his Arca East debut at New Smyrna. And yes, it is a little bit dated, but I want you to hear the story anyway. So the next episode after this one is the my interview with Raja Karouf. Then after that, you'll be hearing some of my questions I asked Throughout the speed weeks at Daytona. But to wrap this one up. And this little subject. Just stay tuned. Just stay tuned. And also. I want you to hear Derek Griffith's response. Following his ARCA record Daytona. Because. Here's the thing. I defend some drivers from afar. And sometimes there's no defending what happened. I think honestly what happened with the whole Gracie Trotter and Derek Griffith at Daytona. Is just a bump gone wrong. And I can't really defend Gracie for that. It's just a learning curve that both of them have to go through, especially Gracie, because this was her first race at Daytona, period. First track she's ever driven that significant and that large. That was just a bad, that was just a wrong timing move, unfortunately, for her part, because both of them looked like they would be competing for the win. It was going to be Venerini, anyways. It was either going to be Griffith, it was either going to be. Is it going to be Trotter or the eventual winner, Corey Hybe? With Ty Gibbs being the dark horse in this one. Yes, indeed, I view him as a dark horse for that. But when that horror deal happened, it's like, uh, Gracie, what do you just do? And then Derek nearly flipped the darn thing. It was like, don't flip it, don't flip it, don't flip it. Because it's like, good. If, if, if that thing flipped, that would have made things worse, honestly. And, and knowing that 
FS1 didn't interview him, and I doubt MRN did, knowing that I know he was going to run the Orange Blossom 100, and he had the super lame model World Series of Asphalt title, I decided if I find him, I'd like to hear his side of the story, because I feel like nobody else has heard that side of the story, so it was a great opportunity, and with that, here is what he had to say regarding the whole deal with Gracie Trotter, hours after his ARCA wreck, and exit from the Daytona International Speed. <laughs> Just discuss what happened from your perspective. I know we both chatted a little bit. Uh, you put this whole entire thing on Gracie at Daytona. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, we pushed her to lead, and uh, with the Venturini cars were just, I think, the best four cars out there all day. Um, I mean, they still finished 1-2 with uh, with Corey and, and Drew, so uh, obviously they had the best cars there. And I mean, we rolled the outside. I don't think, I don't think I've seen a race there in a long time that the outside's made ground. So, um, you know, I pushed her to lead and just, you know, got in front of her, and uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think it could have been very easily avoided after watching it, but you know, I just don't know if it's just inexperience. But you know, I have that same lack of inexperience there, and it's just unfortunate. Uh, we had a we had a really good race car, probably a race car to win there, and just kind of to get run through there in turn three just broke my heart, man. It's <laughs> it was horrible. Yeah, how aggravating is it that not only a teammate basically slammed you and then caused the whole mayhem knowing that the cars were strong enough to win? Uh, you know, it's definitely aggravating because I think it would have been, you know, I think Venturini had the top four or five pretty well locked down, especially if we all could have worked a little bit better together. But like I said, I mean, this is just, the Arca Series is such an inexperienced uh, deal and it's so tough to, to go out there and expect everyone to make the right choices and you know we're, everyone's out there learning that's what that's why they're racing arca so um, you know to be the fault's definitely on her but i don't i don't think you know she didn't have any mal uh you know it wasn't on purpose it, that's basically what i'm saying um i don't i know she didn't mean to do it it's just really could have been easily avoided could have tore up a lot less race cars spoken to anybody from the team since then uh yeah a little bit i, I ended up leaving because i really want to get here for that last practice and um, you know, everyone's pretty disappointed, but not uh, not not super disappointed. It showed our car showed a ton of speed, and we showed that we could run in the draft pretty well and, and make the right choices. So that's uh, that was a big win in our book. Now shifting to the 100 lapper, and of course, you got the super late model World Series title on the line. What will be key to not only get those two trophies, but also come out there on top to handle what's been rather frustrating day? It'd be huge, you know, I mean, just to end off, uh, it, it, like you said, a frustrating day to end off in a good way. Uh, you know, by no means is this an easy deal to win, and we've been super consistent throughout the week and have a, a, a bad, fast race car. And uh, I'm just super happy to go out, qualify, see where we're at, and get rolling. Yeah, it was pretty unfortunate. But on the bright side for Derek, he did win the 2021 World Series of Asphalt Super Late Model Championship. For the second straight year in a row. And it's a rare feat. As a matter of fact. It is considered as a badge of honor. So here. To play more on a lighter tone. Here is Derek after the race. When he locked up that Super Late Model title. How about it? Double champion. Uh, back to back champion. Excuse me. <laughs> it, uh, it feels good. They said it's the first time a consecutive has been done in 23 years. So. And it was Peter Orr that did it, and he's a good shoe for sure. But do it consecutively two years in a row. Uh, Speed Week's such a tough, tough deal to come down here and run good. You know, you need as much luck as you do uh, a good race car. And we had both this year, and we had both last year. So fingers crossed we can have a good year again tomorrow, and uh, I mean uh, next year, and we'll uh, 
we'll definitely be back. It worked us through tonight's race. It was relatively calm and clean. You got yourself a top 10 and finish out of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just screwed up and, and got into the front stretch wall a little bit there early on and bent up, bent up some of our, of our uh, parts here and mechanical failure. So I just held on. I knew we had the points lead and I knew we were going to have it if we uh, just kept it clean there towards the end. And I did. I don't know where we ended up, maybe 10th or something like that. And, you know, good race car all week. And uh, that was totally my bad tonight. A little, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bummed out that we didn't get the race uh, tonight real good. But again, we came home with a championship, so I can't complain too much. When you look back at what the accomplishments you just done, do you just take a moment and relax or pause to think about how great is it to rewrite history? Oh, man, it's just unbelievable. You know, I think it's really cement us uh, as a real team to be reckoned with here in uh, super late model racing wherever we're at. So uh, fingers crossed we'll have a good year. And I think I think the boys back home uh, are going to be in trouble if we run this good back home. So uh, super excited to get back racing back home. We got, you know, Hickory. Uh, we might run the Rattler. Um, you know, we're going to run New Hampshire Motor Speedway and uh, Thompson and some other places so we're we're ready to get rolling i'm i'm excited thank you and congratulations thank you no doubt i certainly wish Derek the best on his upcoming season i feel like he's a talent for sure a talent that has so much potential after seeing what he was able to do in that arca east race last year for the brian motorsports camp with paul andrews as his crew chief they knew i was looking at a potential superstardom time will tell how that pans out He'll have a couple opportunities more with Venerini Motorsports in the National Arca side, and I hope he does well. Certainly, he is a child of talent to the point that Bob Parker's including him in his top 25 list of drivers under under 25. He's right up on that list. So is Jesse Lubb. The ones that didn't make the cut, uh, was a little bit of surprise, was Gracie Trotter as well. Because I feel like she's definitely right up there as well. But, of course, you have your Sam Mayers as well and Derek Krause. It is a tough list, to be honest. But I would probably put Gracie Trotter in my top 25, probably my top 20, if I ever decide to do a video of the touted talents of the future. Because I definitely, those guys that Bob mentioned, and, and I would include Trotter, maybe one other, I would include them be potential superstars, future superstars to that score. Sam Mayer is probably on his way. It would be interesting to see how he does. When he goes to the Xfinity Series. For now he's going to be driving a Henderson truck. At the Daytona Road Course. If memory serves correctly. If not. Then it's jet lag. Lack of sleep. That I got plenty from. After arriving home. I put that as the blame. Hopefully by next week. Or the next episode you hear. With uh, when I had the interview with Roger Caruff. Over nearly two weeks ago. When it comes out. you My functionality works better. So yeah, overall, Volusia was a bit of a hot mess dealing with some folks, but it was alright. New Smyrna was very mind-blowing, very, very weird, considering there was tragedy involved for two nights. One on the track and one outside the track that had nothing to do with racing. I think doing photography was a huge challenge for me, trying to adapt to the lack of lighting and the night settings and everything. But I feel like towards the end, I finally got the got my shit together, and I felt great. Now the question is how the final photos come out. Which one I have to choose? That's, that's up for a debate. 
I think it got better over time, and I feel pretty satisfied, pretty happy, and really relieved to get an opportunity to do some photos and distribute them to Short Track Scene. I can't thank Matt Weber and those guys enough for like giving me an opportunity to do something worthwhile. Yeah, mostly victory lane, but there were if there were incidents, I had to do the daunting task of interviewing some of those drivers after the incidents if they impl- if they wanted to. I had to ask first because when they're in the heat of the moment, I can understand why they wouldn't. And why they and if they did, it's like great. So make sure to keep my foot on my toes and don't overdo it. I did overdo it a couple times, but as the week went on, I just finally got it together. And also, so did the drivers when there were not that many incidents that were ridiculous or out of line or a little bit absurd. Or it's like, well, it was bound to happen. I knew it. It got better over time, but at the end of the day, at the end of the night, I feel like it may be better. I needed that challenge. I needed to step in a world where I'm not too familiar with. I'm familiar with some of the names, but the whole environment, the whole vibe, not quite. So having that experience at, at New Samurda was valuable. I found it extremely valuable. And then when I was at Daytona for doing the stuff on Media Center and the 500, and I realized, man, is there, is there more racing in New Samurda? I feel like I could do more. I feel like there's something, there's something missing. But the big thing is I left there content, not miserable, not mopey, or have a nasty 180 mood swing after the fact. That's why I felt after Kern County. I had a nasty mood swing where I was like, everything was calm, and then all of a sudden I was just mad with the world. And now, a few days removed from New Smyrna, Daytona, and Volusia, I'm not really mad at the world. There's something that, yeah, it sucks. And there's some stuff that sucked about it all across the board. But I'm actually just content, mentally relieved. I was exhausted and drained. For That's one thing, but it was worth it. I thought it was. And I'm really happy about it. And you don't get that opportunity every day to ask a question to Pitbull. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised with my Facebook. When I posted it on Facebook, they blew up to the absolute no end. And I put, I put the English, I asked a question in English, I asked one in Spanish. As a matter of fact, here is one last audio bit before I wrap up this episode. How essential is it to be bringing the Latin and Hispanic community into the sport and being a part of it? Of course, you have on the other side with Bubba Wallace and Michael Jordan, but not with you and Daniel. Uh, well, it just goes back to what I tell you what the most important part of this union slash partnership is, is bringing people together. You know, I, I tell people all the time, there's one race and one race only. That's the human race. And when people start to apply that in their everyday life, then we'll be looking at a different world. I've already seen it stepping on stage. I've seen what the music does. Music is a universal language where it speaks to everybody. No matter where you're from, race, culture, or language you speak, when you're at a concert and you're enjoying that artist and that music, everybody there speaks music and everybody's a part of that culture. So we're looking to take the same and apply it to this amazing partnership with Trackhouse, amazing platform with NASCAR, and bottom line, making sure the United States stays the United States, not the divided states. Y la otra respuesta es que la, neces- la importancia que los hispanos tienen algo positivo. Las mencionadas, la educación es bien importante para tú. ¿Qué importante es que los jóvenes que hagan siguiendo sus sueños en los tiempos más difíciles como ahorita en la pandemia y lo ha pasado en los últimos décadas? Mira, eh, para ser hispano aquí representando en NASCAR es un gran honor. Es también para motivar e inspirar la cultura de que 
No importa lo que pase en la vida, uno siempre tiene que estar ahí para pa luchar y seguir para adelante. Eso está en la sangre de nosotros. Nosotros tenemos mucha pasión y somos gente que de una manera u otra siempre resolvemos, resolvemos cualquier problema o situación. So, para la juventud que está allá afuera, ellos tienen lo que es ver todo lo que está pasando en el mundo ahora mismo, utilizarlo como algo positivo para seguir para adelante, porque nada en la vida es fácil y nadie le gusta nada fácil en la vida. Para llegar a estos niveles y lograr lo que uno quiere en su vida, uno tiene que luchar y luchar duro. So, con eso dicho, estamos aquí ahora mismo creando historia con Justin, con Ty y con Daniel Suárez, con Trackhouse y NASCAR. Y como te digo, lo más importante es uniendo las diferentes culturas para enseñar lo que nosotros somos mucho más similares, similares que diferentes. Yeah, I thought it was pretty neat deal. And this was a question I had in mind of asking him regardless, because this because he was already on, I think when I was a day two or day three at Evolution, where there was like hundred media folks, several Latin communities, like, yeah, there's no way I'm getting a question and there's just too much in demand. And there's a lot, there were a lot of Latin report media folks that were only there for Pitbull and also for Daniel Suarez as well. So when I found out that Pitbull was going to be in a Zoom call again, it's like, well, maybe I'll have a better chance considering his pre-race and also met Daytona, the media center. It's like, I'm, I'm, let's go for it. Fortunately, I did. And it's like, if everything else fails in my life or my career, at least I got to ask questions to some of the best and some of the most famous. As a matter of fact, before the 2-16-20 happened with the postponement and everything, the last person I asked the question at the Media Center of Daytona was Ricky Carmichael. And then a full year later, it, well, technically speaking, it was, who was it? Mike Bugger Rabbits. Yeah, Eric Amarola's crew chief after winning the first reason duel. But from a celebrity standpoint, you go from Ricky Carmichael to Pitbull from the Daytona Media Center in the span of the years. Like, doesn't get any better than that. I'm grateful for it. Sometimes I don't express it here because I feel like there's a lot more I can do, but feel grateful about it. So overall, it was a learning experience. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, the, like I mentioned, there were some hiccups along the way, mostly at the beginning and also when I left. But other than that, it was a learning curve. It, it definitely was a learning curve that I feel like it will teach me for the, for the better. And if I ever wanted to do more short track racing, I'll probably consider it. May not be for a while. May not be, I don't know, till late of the season. Would I consider doing the snowball derby? I'd be up for it. I would have no problem with that. I just need to get my goddamn license, period. This is straight cut and dry. And by December, that should not be a problem. But first, I gotta go through the quarantine life. Because I was in Florida. In the cesspool that is known as Florida when it comes to health and everything else. Maybe a couple, it may not be till next month. Fingers crossed on that. But lo and behold, season two is going to be heavily guest driven. Sometimes I'll chime in if, if it's warranted or when I'm fresh off on a, on assignment like I was the past two weeks in Florida. You'll hear my thoughts. You'll hear my feelings about it and just discuss racing related stuff. It may not be till the month of May. Fingers crossed on that as well. It may not be for a good while. So... If you if if you see episodes coming out, list I encourage you to listen to it because those are deemed special because there's guests involved. I hope to have more guests along the season to keep it going, but I want to make the season two as that guest driven, not just guest and then me talking about about two thirds of it. 
I wanted this to be about them rather than myself. This was one of the few exceptions. I did. I know I did the ARCA report of my last episode, but I wanted y'all guys to hear the bigger story, which was Derek Lancaster. How people thought he was his career was done, and he was quick. And even at the, in the race itself, he was right up there. He was right up there, probably could have been in the hunt. But with this package that ARCA the habit and those super speedways, it just ruined it. It ruined it for him and others. But I promise you that it's only the beginning, folks. It's just only the beginning. And with that note, I hope you guys enjoyed my rambling in this episode. I hope you enjoyed the questions that I asked to Michael McDowell, Derek Griffith, and Pitbull. Even if one of them is in Spanish. I hope you follow along my journey through Patreon, Luis Torres Multimedia. I would forever appreciate if you guys give me a follow and support on that side. I know I haven't plugged it in too much because it just came from out of nowhere. And also, a lot of conventions for Kamikaze Games to do one. Start off. Caster Gasco, TPL Motorsports. Once again, I thank you for supporting me through Patreon. There will be more content in the coming days and weeks. I hope you guys stick around. But also, those who are like to join, I would appreciate it as well. Luis Torres Multimedia. That's the pretty much the name of the website. That's my brand. The podium finish of Motorsports Tribune is the site I write for. I Oh, oh man, I should have talked about... How about this? How about this? I'll talk about it soon. About that the, the little venture that I had with Russ Chastain and Chase Briscoe. The little venture they had and I was a part of it in the background. I will discuss about that in the, for, in the foreseeable future. Man, of all things in Florida, I did not talk about that. There's a little little teaser for you, though. I hope you guys tune in for in the future. Maybe in the Raj Karouf episode, maybe the episode after that. We'll see. I will discuss about Speed Beach 2021 in greater detail soon, though. So maybe that's where I toss in the Briscoe Chastain thing. Social media, Luis D. Torres 94 on Instagram. L-U-I-S-D-S and Torres T-O-R-R-E-S 94. Twitter at the LT Files. Those who have joined me through my coverage through the World Series of Asphalt. I appreciate it. I, ho- I hope you guys stick around as well. I got plenty of photos to show for. A lot of galleries to go through. And yeah. LuisDTorres.com That's the site. That's where I put my works in. So until we meet again, I hope you guys stay safe. Be mindful. No are in Texas, including my editor-in-chief of the Motorsports Tribune, Joey Barnes, and also my editor-in-chief through the podium finish, Rob Tyson. I hope you guys stay safe. I hope you guys got your power back. Stay safe. The entire state of Texas, those who are heavily affected in the snowstorm, I know North Carolina is about to be impacted, or if it not, if it already did, I hope you guys stay healthy, stay safe, and hopefully just, just that. That's all I can ask. And also just a whole be mindful. Use your head. Stay healthy. And until we meet again, I hope to see you guys later.